Hello again, world. Welcome to Quantum Computing Now. Um, yeah, I haven't been around for a while. If you listen to my summer update episode from a while back, you'll know that that's because I was doing research at Case Western Reserve University. Um, some of that research is now published, which is really cool. Uh, some of it is, you know, preprint. Um, but yeah, that is that's been an awesome journey over this last. I guess nine months or so, um, and so this episode is going to be me talking about that, and I, there won't be a guest, it's just myself, uh, but yeah, I'm happy to share that with you guys. Um, it was a great experience, and I look forward to doing more of at least similar, if not the same, in the future. Um, yeah, I've got some notes about uh, you know what's going to be happening with quantum computing now going forward. Um, that'll happen. I'll be giving those notes towards the end of the episode. So stick around if you're interested in that. Um, but yeah, there's going to be some changes. There's going to be some things that aren't changing. Um, but yeah, now that I'm back, let's talk about what I've been up to. Um, yeah, so as of last summer, I got an offer to work with a research group at Case Western on quantum computing work. Um, specifically, I've been looking at quantum circuit cutting, um, uh, quantum circuit cutting in the main part of my work. I've been doing some other stuff, you know, here and there, uh, being an undergrad research assistant, you know, is not all glamour, uh, as you might suspect, but I have been lucky enough to be with a, um, a PI who has been willing to like put me down as co-first author on things and isn't like trying to just get free labor out of people. So that's been really great. Uh, shout out to Professor Shu um, for all of that. Uh, super grateful. Um, yeah, so what is the research that I've been doing? I guess I usually ask the guests to talk about their background, but hopefully if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know about my background. If not, you should go listen to previous episodes where I, I get into that. Um, so yeah, if you if you don't know about my background, go ahead, uh, pause this episode, watch all, listen to all forty five other episodes, and then come back. <laughs> uh, really help boost my numbers. Um, yeah, so we'll skip the background. How did I how did I get this role? Uh, actually, that might be a, a question that a lot of people are interested in because it can seem like it's a hard thing to get into quantum computing. Um, I, and I would say, yeah, it actually, it is, it is pretty hard. Um, but there are a couple things that you can do to make it easier. Um, don't know if they're necessarily the most fair way to do this, but it's kind of how the world works. Um, something that someone told me is that it is not about um, who you know or what you know. It's about who knows you. And that really was the case for me getting this role. Um, I met uh, a woman um, at Case Western um, who will remain nameless. Um, yeah, I met her through a uh, basically a church group, and we started talking. She was asking what, I, what sort of things I was interested in, what sort of things I did. I told her about quantum computing and my interest in that. I told her about quantum computing and my interest in that, 
And she told me that uh, her boyfriend was actually currently working in undergraduate quantum computing research um, and that she would get me in touch with him. So, um, yeah, we were able to sit down for a talk um, and this, uh, her boyfriend eventually connected me with Professor Shu and because um, they both knew me, I was able to get the role. Um, so yeah, it's really not, it wasn't about what I knew, um, although, you know, if, I wouldn't have been able to do the role if I didn't know at least a little bit about linear algebra and quantum computing and all of that background, right? That's the necessary foundation. But what actually got me the job was um, who knew me. So that's how I, how I got the role initially. And after that, I talked with the professor a little bit more. I had an internship with Zapata last summer. Uh, but when I wasn't doing that, I was studying, um, basically learning as much as I could about quantum computing. This was my quantum computing zero to hero kick that I did last summer. Um, just trying to get as much experience as I could before actually starting doing quantum computing research. Okay, so that was last summer. I started in the fall um, and really just uh, dove right in. There was code to write. There were new things to test. Um, and what did it actually look like being an undergraduate research assistant? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, what that actually looked like a lot of the times was, you know, meeting with um, Professor Shu, uh, my PI, once a week um, to check in on progress. Uh, we didn't actually end up being a, you know, a once a week regular cadence. Just it ended up being um, whenever we could schedule it once a week because, uh, you know, He's busy being a professor at the same time he's doing research, and I'm also a student and doing research, and so, you know, getting schedules to line up and changing schedules was a lot of uh, back and forth, but it was, yeah, regular check-ins to check in, like, what was I doing, did I have any questions, um, and I would say about halfway through the experience, towards the end of the first semester, um, or maybe nah, not even the end of the first semester, but during the first semester, I, you know, I'm a sophomore in college, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, I don't understand this math. And other people who are not that much older than I am, right, they do. Um, so, it, you know, it's a lot easier when you are. 16, 17, you're starting out, you're like, oh, I'm going to get into this. Everyone's like, oh, the fact that you know anything is great. You're like, yeah, and I've got eight years to learn all of this math and whatnot. And then if you realize that, oh, now I've only got like, what, four years, six years, um, I guess like two years if I don't want to do a PhD, six years. Um, right. It just, it starts to become like, oh man, can I really do it? So I, I hit some maybe imposter syndrome, maybe just learning that the math of quantum computing is not really what I'm interested in. Um, and yeah, there was, there was some doubt that came from that because I wasn't an immediately understanding everything. Um, so yeah, this goes out to anybody who is in a similar situation, um, it's really helpful to have people who have been there, um, who you know, who are going to shoot straight with you and tell you if you're actually like, yeah, you are not at the level that you should be at this stage of development. Um, 
Luckily, I did have that, uh, in, in, including in Professor Shu. And I brought these concerns up to him, and he basically told me uh, that, no, that's to be expected. You haven't taken as many math courses. You haven't had as much experience in that. And that's why we have cross-disciplinary research teams. Um, he brought me on partially because I am a computer science student, and I'm really good at writing code. And there, he's not as great at writing code, but he knows all the math, and he's able to uh, like read and understand all of the research and parse out all of the crazy, crazy mathematical symbols and jargon that I haven't been exposed to. And he said that was okay, and I should stick with it. And so I did, um, and I'm, I'm really glad that I did, because um, fast-forwarding a little bit, uh, we finished up our uh, first piece of research uh, towards the beginning of the second semester, uh, and then, you know, submitted it. Uh, there was a whole big, like, crunch time trying to submit uh, the, the paper on time, um, as, I, as there always is. Uh, seems like, at least, from the people that I've talked to who have published for longer than I have, that, like, you know, every, every paper that you get out is a crunch right before the deadline. Um, yeah, so we got that out, um, and then we, we heard back that it was accepted, and, and, you know, at that time, we put it on the archive, um, so that's actually available. I can put a link to that in the show notes. Um, but, yeah, that was the research that I worked on, and that research was about quantum circuit cutting. And so now this is going to get a little bit technical. If you, uh, well, I, I will, I'll keep it as high level as I, as I can. Um, but yeah, uh, I understand, and I, I'll make this, this caveat. I understand this mostly at the level of the software that's needed to write uh, to go into this, and not necessarily uh, all of the math that goes behind this. That's why, like I said earlier, like Professor Xu told me, we have these interdisciplinary research teams. So what is quantum circuit cutting? Um, if you are driving, don't do this exercise. But if you're not driving, uh, you got a second, close your eyes, and I want you to imagine a quantum circuit that is too wide to be ran on a single quantum computer. Too wide, uh, meaning it has too many qubits. Let's say that this quantum circuit that we want to run has a thousand qubits. Right now, as of the recording of this podcast, the largest quantum computer in the world is from IBM, and it's 433 qubits. So we can't run this 1,000 qubit quantum circuit. Um, but now what I want you to do is I want you to imagine taking this 1,000 qubit circuit, uh, quantum circuit, and splitting it into three sections, um, each one with 334 qubits. So you're going to take the, the top third, and you're going to break it off, and the middle third, and you're going to break it off, and the bottom third, and you're going to break it off. Um, that's basically what quantum circuit, the first part of quantum circuit cutting is. That's the, like the cutting part. Um, and then what we're going to do is we're going to run each of those individual quantum circuits by themselves, and we're going to measure them at the end. Then we're going to take those results, and we're going to recombine them. And now you might be thinking, well, hold on. Part of the reason that quantum computing is powerful is because of entanglement, right? What if there's entanglement between these? You're not going to be able to accurately, um, you're not going to be able to accurately reconstruct 
the data if you're just going to split that and hope that hope for the best like what 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 happens there excellent point um what actually happens is you do a, a you're very clever with your cuts um so that you're not like breaking through any entangling uh quantum gates and you're also going to run each of those um what we call upstream circuits in all of the poly bases um or poly basis elements uh, what that means is, uh, for the less technical, means that you're going to run the circuit, you're going to measure in a basis, run the circuit again, measure in another basis, run the circuit again, measure in another basis. But you have to do this for as many cuts as we did. So we did, um, we basically did two cuts, right? We split uh, the circuit into three sections, so we've got two cuts. Well... The, this scales as O of 4 to the K, where K is the number of cuts. So we actually have to do that like 16 different ways. Um, and here's the problem, right? The problem is this O of 4 to the K scaling, um, which occurs both for the number of times we have to run the upstream circuit, as well as the number of time, uh, the amount of time it takes to recombine the results at the end once we have the upstream circuits uh, and the the corresponding measurement outcomes, right? So the long story short is that it takes a really, really long time to do this procedure. Sometimes that's going to be worth it, but in order for that to be worth it, you basically have to have uh, an algorithm that is better than, uh, well, you have to have an algorithm that where the classical case, right, is worse than O of 4 to the K, and you have to have the quantum case be really, really uh, sublinear, um, which just that does don't really exist. So it's not super practical, um, but it's interesting to note that we can run the like basically any arbitrary quantum circuit on any arbitrary quantum computer, no matter what size it is, as long as it's you know like two or three qubits or larger. Right, one qubit's not going to do you much good, but because um, we can split, you know, we could even split uh, what, that 1,000 qubit circuit that I had you envisioning earlier, split that into little two qubit segments, just 500 or so of them. Um, so that's possible, but it would take a really long time. So that was what my research was, or our research, I should say, was looking into. How can we reduce that runtime? Um, and what we did is we said, okay, we've got these, we have to measure these different sub-circuits in polybases. Um, but what happens if one of those polybases is always going to be zero or will basically convey no information downstream? Well, in that case, we could just ignore it. Um, so this, there's math that goes into this that I'm not going to try to even explain over audio because I think that that's going to go poorly. If you're interested in the math, you should check out the actual paper, which again, I will link to in the show description, show notes, show notes. Um, man, can you tell it's been a while since I did one of these? So yeah, we're going to say, okay, let's look for specific instances where when we measure in a specific basis, we get no information downstream. It's all zeroed out. Um, again, in the math, this like it cancels out nicely, or it's all zero. Either way, uh, works the same. And 
what we can do is we can just ignore that. And that is uh, at least one measurement that we don't have to do. Really, when you scale this up, we're reducing our runtime from O of 4 to the K down to O, to o of 3 to the K, which is a significant improvement. Um, and so that was, that was our research. That was what we did. We um, talked about these golden cutting points and uh, like showed that they can exist and showed that we could exploit them and that doing so led to a reduction in runtime. Um, you might be saying, okay, uh, that's cool and all, but it's still O of 3 to the K. And you're absolutely right. Um, it's still maybe not super practical, um, but I've realized that I have to sort of turn off my, or the practical software developer part of my brain a little bit when doing research, because the point is not necessarily to find something right here, right now that's practical. The point is to move the needle closer to the practical. And going from O of 4 to the K to o of, o of 3 to the K is a significant improvement. That is a, that's really an exponential improvement um, over the previous state of the art, which is incredible and does move the needle. So I'm very happy with the work that we did. Um, we continued it a little bit. Uh, you might be hearing more about that later, uh, but for now, I'm going to keep that under wraps. Yeah, so that was what I did over this past little while, and I am, I'm really happy that I had that experience, that I got to share that, and I guess if I was interviewing myself, what questions would I be interested in asking? Probably something like, uh, what was the most challenging aspect of all of this? And I would say like, what I talked about a little bit already, the imposter syndrome or maybe not imposter syndrome if we're not being ge uh, generous to me. Um, yeah, just just going through that, getting over that, um, and accepting that there are parts that I can contribute to and parts that I can't um, when I'm used to being able to sort of like do it all. So that was probably the most challenging part. Um, the... The code itself was um, fun. It was fun, honestly. I like writing code. Um, and actually, that was another crisis that I had, was I realized I don't think I can write code for the rest of my life because uh, GPT is going to be better at writing code by the time we get to GPT 6 or 7 than I'll ever be able to. So had to reconsider some things there. But... I think we've got a good path going forward. Yeah. Um, if you have other questions about the research that I did, if you're curious about something, if you want to know um, things, let me know. Um, I would love to take your questions. I would love to answer them here. Also, if you know of anyone who would be interested in coming on the podcast to be interviewed, I am starting to look for uh, interview guests now. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're jumping right back into it. In fact, uh, now's a good time to transition over to talking about what's going to change and what's not going to change with quantum computing now moving forward. So you might have noticed in this episode, there was no intro. Um, there's not going to be an outro either. Uh, I realized one, it's a little bit corny Two, 
um, just like in my own podcast life, I don't care about intros and outros. I set my podcast player to skip them. So I don't know why I was subjecting people to something that I don't care about and choose to skip on my own. If someone is like, oh, Ethan, I really, really appreciated the intros and the outros, well, let me know. You can reach out to me on Minds at one Ethan Hansen, or you can shoot me a message uh, via email, oneethanhansen at protonmail.com. Those are both valid options. Um, so yeah, no more intro, no more outro. The other change is that you might have noticed in this episode even, things are probably going to get a bit more technical, uh, mainly because I've gotten a bit more technical, but I'm going to try to keep it this mid-level um, this mid-level podcast that I have sort of been walking that line for a while now. It's not super basic intro. It's not like high-level business. In fact, I believe there are other podcasts in the quantum computing space that have taken that role now, so I don't think I can do that. Um, this is also not going to be the place to get digests on the latest uh, quantum computing research. That's not a, really about news. We're doing interviews with people, um, and it might, yeah, I'm I as I understand a little bit more, I might ask some more technical questions. I'm going to try to keep it mid-level, and if I ask a question and it gets really technical and I don't understand it, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say, hey, I didn't understand that. Could you explain that like I'm a little bit dumber? Um, not that I think you, the audience, are dumb, just because I'm dumb. And yeah, um, let me know if I get too technical. I want to keep this accessible to as many people as possible. Uh, here's what's not changing. Like I said, we're still going to be doing quantum computing interviews. That's not going away anytime soon. This will not just turn into the Ethan Hansen Rants podcast, because I don't want that, and you don't want that. Nobody wants that. Episodes are still going to be approximately 45 minutes long. This one is not, because it's just me talking, and I hate talking. That's why I interview people. <laughs> uh, that's not all why I interview people, but I this one is going to be 30 minutes tops, um, but yeah, episodes in general are going to be approximately 45 minutes long. I am also still going to be editing interviews for audio clarity and um, volume normalization, but nothing more. I want these to be sort of raw, unedited, and that takes away some of that. If you go through and you remove the ums and the ahs, I know I had a lot in this episode. I'm still getting my flow back, but I think... I think we're hitting the 23-minute mark here, and I think I've gotten my flow back a little bit. Let me know. Uh, if you've missed me, if you've had any sort of ideas for podcast episodes, if you are wanting to help out, support Quantum Computing Now so that I can make more and better episodes, links to do that are, as always, in the show notes. I thank you for listening, and I'll catch you when I catch you.